we pray in your name. Amen. All right, so he's desperate, right? We've painted that picture. He's longing. He can't stand it. So he sends Timothy, right? And Timothy returns, and he has a report. So the two things we're going to talk about out of this section of Scripture are this. One, if you're a note taker, this is kind of park your notes here. Uh, Learning to pray when we're away, okay? So you can go, maybe you can even just phrase it like this. If away, pray, (laughs) okay? And then secondly, the power of the promises, okay? If away, pray, (laughs) and then the power of the promises. So Timothy returns, and he returns with this report and uh, I, re- I even remember this in that season. Occasionally, I would get a letter from Emily. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, we're, we're in the world of, like, Zoom and Skype and all. This was, like, back when you, it cost, uh, like, long-distance money on your cell phone. And, uh, like, we were in the collect call era, okay? So I would occasionally get a letter. And I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter from somebody that you love when you're a long ways away but when you get that letter, what do you do? Don't you, do you read it one time? No, right? You, you pour over the words on that page and you read them over and over because this is coming from the person that, that you most deeply love, right? And Timothy returns and it's like a love letter coming from afar that, that Paul is just tearing open and he's pouring over because Timothy brings this report, right? He brings good news about their faith and their love. And he tells them that, that they too, right, have pleasant memories of, of you, Paul, and they long to see you just as you long to see them. I mean, think about that. Like, I, I remember wondering that in that distance with Emily in that year. Like, is she feeling this way the same way that I'm feeling about her? And that's what is happening with Paul here. He's finding out, you feel the same way about me as I feel about you. That your faith and your love are actually thriving, that you have pleasant memories of us, and it becomes this profound encouragement for Paul, right? It literally rejoys his heart. Because he, he's vulnerable right now. He's desperate right now. And it rejoins his heart to the point to where he says in verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. And think about that. He's literally saying, man, we, I am actually, even in the middle of all the difficulty that is going on in my life, I am really living now because of what God is doing in your life. And he thanks God and he says, I have so much joy. God has rejoyed my heart because of what he's doing in you. It's like in 1 John 3, 4, where John says, I have no greater joy. There's nothing greater than to find out that my kids are actually walking in the truth. Paul's saying, I have this deep joy that, it, that is, is the fruit of seeing the Holy Spirit at work in other people in spite of the circumstances that they're facing. And that my labor there, literally like, like the labor of, of birthing a child, because that's what birthing a church was, right? He's birthed this church in Thessalonica. He's saying the labor of that has not been in vain, right? 
But that joy, that joy is the fruit of something, right? It's not just the joy of this report. If you remember all the way back in, in 1 2, he literally says, We are continually praying for you that this would happen. That joy, that report that Timothy is bringing is the fruit of prayer. He's literally been praying for them that this would be what's true about you. While I'm away from you, I am praying for you that this would be true. And Timothy's coming back and saying, it is. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get good news, I was thinking about this, just like, okay, I'm grieving, I'm grinding on this, I'm desperate to find out what's going on. And so Timothy comes and gives this report, and, and Paul's like, I was thinking like this, I was worried I got a good report, maybe like going to a doctor and getting good news, right? And there's this deep sense of relief. Maybe, maybe relax, even like, okay, whew. My, my investment in these people, it's paying dividends. And maybe, maybe Paul would be tempted to kind of go on to the next thing, like, right? He's in Athens right now, like, okay, things are good in Thessalonica. Cool, let's get focused on where I'm at. But Paul doesn't do that. Like, I'm telling you, I tend to do that. Like, I find out, like, okay, you doing okay? You good? You good, right? Okay, let's get focused over here. Paul doesn't do that. Paul actually puts the pedal, the prayer pedal down. He stomps it to the floor. And he says, okay, things are good, but I know things can become bad quickly, and I'm focused on your needs. And, and he still, in verse 10 there, basically says this, I'm never going to stop praying for you. I'm never going to stop praying for you. And in verse 10 he says, I'm, I'm praying, that I, I still, I love this, it's beautiful, I want to see you again, right? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What is he saying there? He's saying, I'm desperate to still get back to you. And I know that you need supplies, literally, like you're in a battle and we've got to bring fresh, like spiritual bullets to the battle to fight the war that we're in. I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. But he knows something, and that's this. At this time, I can't do that. I can't get to you. I can't supply your need. I can't be the personal conduit of God in the way that I want to be face to face. And so what do I do? When I'm away, I pray. Right? And yes, he prays, God, clear away. Right? Clear away so that we can get to them. It's like the snowstorm last week. How many of you were stuck somewhere and you really wanted to be somewhere else and you're like, we had a person on our street <laughs> I don't know, I think the guy, maybe a boyfriend-girlfriend situation where he had slept over sort of situation and he was trying to get home and the girl was like, when are these streets gonna get plowed? And I'm like, these streets are never gonna get plowed. <laughs> like, your car is stuck here for the next five days, so I guess you're just gonna have to figure this out, right? <laughs> it's, it's like that. Paul's saying, plow the road, Lord, so we can get to these people that we love. But if not, if, if you're not going to unblock the way, then God, will you do for them what I, c I can't be present to do for them? 
Have you ever been brought to that place? Where you long for something for somebody so deeply. You want to be with someone, you want to you supply something for someone and you can't get to them. Let me just tell you, if you haven't been, you will be. Um, everyone who's got little people in this room, you know that feeling of wanting to even get to your kids in ways because <laughs> you see the needs that they have. You see what they're struggling with. You see what, what they desperately need and, and it's like, I can't get to you. I can't do it. God's gonna have to do something for you that I cannot do for you. I mean, this season, COVID, I mean, that alone has... How many stories have you heard or maybe you've lived where you've wanted to get to somebody in some way and because of what's going on, you weren't able to get to them? Where all of your effort to affect change in a situation falls short. It feels horrible, doesn't it? I mean, it's horribly hard. But is it possible that, that God wasn't allowing even Paul to get to these people because he was actually even teaching something to Paul through that experience, and that's this. That in that weakness and in that inability, it's actually God's grace to us. Because it's only when we're that weak, it's only when we see our, our true ability to affect change is so profoundly limited that the things that we long for, for ourselves and for our friends and for our community and for our city and for this world is stuff God's got to do. He's got to work in the human heart. It's only when we're actually brought to that place of weakness that we can actually step into the strength of who he is, that we would learn to rely on him in new ways that we would actually learn how to pray. Because if you're like me, I, I only, it's sad, I mean, goodness gracious, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I should be praying all the time, right? But if I look at my own life, a lot of times it's really true. I, I only, the prayer pedal kind of goes down when things get to this place. When this place is reality, we need the Lord to do stuff for us all the time, not us to do stuff for us. And so this suffering, the distance, Paul's own experience, their experience, that suffering is a seedbed of a true prayer life. We learn in that a way to actually learn how to pray and how to actually lean on the Lord. And so what does he pray? What does Paul pray? This is where we'll spend the rest of our time in verse 11 to 13. What does he pray? What does he pray for and why does he pray that? Well, let's look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you, okay? We know that doesn't end up happening, right? This is Garth Brooks, some of God's greatest gifts, right? A run, no, sorry, I won't sing the whole thing. Unanswered prayers, no? You guys even know who Garth Brooks, everybody knows who the Garth Brooks is. God doesn't answer that, so he keeps praying, and what does he pray? May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else 
just as ours does for you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other, the people in the church, and for everyone else. Everyone in the, like, even the people who are persecuting you. May the Lord make that happen, right? Why does he pray that? You should write that down. Why? Well, I think this might be obvious, but because affliction, what does affliction do? Affliction deflates my hope. Affliction hurts my joy. Affliction weakens my faith. Affliction takes away my courage. And affliction, above all else, makes me question this. Am I loved? If you, ever, if you haven't gotten to that place in your life where something difficult has made you ask this question, God, do you love me? Then you are literally living completely blind to your heart. It makes me question, difficulty makes me question if I'm loved, and it also makes it often where I'm unable or unwilling to love, right? Because if I question if I'm loved, if I'm not experiencing love, I don't have anything to offer. And usually, when things get difficult, love for myself becomes the focus. I, I, stop, I stop looking to the Lord, I question whether I'm loved, I'm, I hardly have anything to offer anyone else, and my love meter goes like this. Love for myself becomes the focus. And so when Paul is praying that their love would increase and overflow, he understands something, and it's this. That love overflows when it's connected to something that is flowing. Like, I live in a floodplain. I was sharing this a second ago. It rained really hard last night. We've got this really pretty creek in our backyard, and it's really pretty until it rains like it did last night, and then it looks like an Olympic whitewater event in my backyard, right? It has to rain hard for something to overflow, right? That trickle actually has to turn into a torrent of rain for something to be overflowing. And he's praying, not that it just kind of like, peace like a river, right, like flows. He's talking about, I want it to overflow. And something only overflows when something is flowing into that that is massive. And he's saying this, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. May the Lord. It's, we, we read over this stuff, but it's so important. He's saying you are hooked up, literally, like a hose is hooked up to, to a spigot. And he's saying literally, Lord, turn on the spigot and let the PSI of the Holy Spirit and the love of God flow into your life in such a powerful way that it is literally like standing underneath a waterfall. He's saying to them, do you understand if you are in Christ, you are tapped into a spring of living water and a love that can flow into us and then flow through us because we are filled up by him. I have in my notes here to read Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, but I don't have my Bible up here. So write down Ephesians 3, 16 to 19 and go read it later today. He's praying for this because he's saying, Lord, I know they're connected to you. They can't be connected to me, but they're connected to you. 
make it overflow, make it rain. Turn their little creek of love into an absolute whitewater river. And why he's asking God to do that, and this is so important, it's this. He's not telling them, hey, Thessalonians, you try and increase your love. You try and increase your overflow. That's what religion does, though. That's what, that's what we, I don't know, maybe many of you got taught. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to get out there and love people. Just pull up your bootstraps and try to make your love increase and overflow. Hang in there, guys. Muster it up, right? Paul is saying there's no way. It's only in you standing in the waterfall of God's love for you, being hooked up to that, that source that we begin to be filled up and it begins to pour out of us. John 7, 38 through 39. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, this is Jesus, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus hadn't gone to heaven, ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. What's he saying to the Thessalonians? He's saying, you have that spirit. And so he's praying while he's away, saying, Lord, make it happen. Would you make it happen? Not Thessalonians, you make it happen. Lord, would you make it happen for them? It's subtle, y'all, but it's so powerful. And it's a prayer, not only do I have for our church in the season, but I'm asking you, would you pick up that prayer for yourself? Stop trying to be a great lover and start asking God to help you experience his great love for you and you will become one, right? Like where, write this question down. Where are you trying to overflow without the flow? I mean, that's most people's lives. I'm trying to be an overflower in every area of my life without the flow, without the love of God. I'm trying to love without remaining in his love. I'm trying to give without receiving. I'm trying to do something out of my own resources versus I need the Lord's love for me and then the Lord's love can come through me and supply the needs of other people. Like if you, I'll say this, this bluntly, if you do not let yourself be loved by God, you are profoundly limiting your capacity to love other people. Like if you don't prioritize time for you to experience the love of God for you, that's not being selfish. It's being selfish to not do that. So if you don't think you have time to be with Jesus because you're so busy doing other things for other people, you're hurting those people. Trying to love other people all the time without receiving love is selfish. Because you are likely doing all that loving of other people to try to get something from them. Not to give something to them, to get something from them. Just as 
If you claim to be basking in the love of God for you, but you have no relationships that are marked by difficult love, suffering to love other people, then you are likely loving and trying to be loved by a God of your own imagination. Because being loved by him will always call us into this sort of love like Paul has for the Thessalonican church because it's the love that God has for us as his church. That's what Christ's love is. It's a self-emptying love, right? Where are you trying to overflow in your life without being connected to the flow? Where are you trying to do that without letting yourself first receive so you can give. So we have to stay in that waterfall, right? We stay in that waterfall of his love for us. And what happens? May the, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts. The words there actually are so that he would strengthen your heart. So we stay Follow the progression of the prayer. We stay in the waterfall of his love so that he will strengthen our hearts. Because affliction does something else, right? Affliction punches our hearts to the point to where they feel like they have no strength. God's love comes in and strengthens our hearts because our hearts need to be strengthened in order to love well, he says there, so that you will be blameless and holy, that we would love, we, we don't have time to unpack those words, but basically think of it like this, that we would love and that the nature of our relationships and love for one another would be otherworldly. They would be marked by blameless, faultless, holy, different love, right? He's saying, I want, I want you to stay in the flow of the Lord's love so that it overflows. And when it overflows, it will literally stretch and strengthen your heart. And it will cause you to love in a blameless and holy way, even people that are hard to love. And Paul is saying the key to all of that for this group of people, and I'm, I'm pleading with you to believe it for you, is prayer. He's saying, in the distance, as we're waiting, I'm praying, Lord, would you do this? And I'm, I'm inviting you, would you pray to the Lord, would he do that for you? Lord, would you make my love increase and overflow? Lord, would you strengthen my heart? Lord, would you, would you help me live in that blameless, holy identity that I have in you and love in that way? So prayer, when we're away, we pray. And then the last thing, the second thing I said we we're going to talk about is the power of the promise. And it wasn't the best transition, but go with me. How do we stay in the flow? Prayer is one of them, but the promise is the other. Prayer and promise, okay? Because at the end of this prayer, Paul mentions something, and he says this. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. What is Paul saying there? Like Paul is, he is, and this is a theme in that letter, he is looking forward 
to the return of Christ. And he's saying that there's something deeply connected about this return of Jesus and your ability to experience what I'm talking about. That, that the promise, he, he's, he's talking about a day that is to come, but it's a day that has been promised to us by Christ, Christ's return. And I, I'm just gonna ask you do, you, do you know the promises of God for you? Do you know them? Like I didn't have time or I didn't, I didn't choose to, I guess, use my time this way. How many promises of God are there to us as believers in Scripture? But there are a ton of them. If I, if I said, hey, let's start naming them, we could probably fill this entire wall with the things that Scripture says God has promised to you and I. 2 Corinthians says that all of those promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. That all of those promises actually have their power, their root, and their fulfillment in the work of what Jesus has done. And so how I stay in the flow, yes, it's prayer. Prayer is what brings the increase and overflow of love and strength to my heart. Yes, prayer does that, but so does the promise of God. And Paul's saying, in all that prayer, you have to be anchored in the promises of God, the promised return of Jesus and all that that means for us, the hope and the fulfillment of all of your desire that is bound up in that day. Do you know that? Because when you know the promises of God and you combine them with prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, it brings power into the present. Write, write this sequence down, okay? Promises bring power into the present. Promises, power, into the present, and I begin to participate in the divine nature. I mean, I, I know I talked about Emily at the beginning. Knowing that she and I were going to be together one day, the promise of that there were many days where the future hope of that was the only thing that got me through the day, right? Today is so hard. I am working with pigs all day today. Pigs don't love you back, right? Pigs are mean. I worked on a pig farm. It was horrible, right? But just, I mean, and this is so, just in our little frail human existence, just the promise of being together. Okay, I can do this, right? How much more then that, that the creator of the universe, the great lover of your souls is saying, I have gone away. Go read John 14 through 17. And he's saying, I'm preparing a place for you because I cannot wait to be with you. He is so hungry to be with you. And he's saying, I get it. It's tough right now, but look to the promise. I'm gonna return. And when you look to the promises that brings power into the present, and we begin to participate in the divine nature. This is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 5. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You have what you need. How do you have it? Through our knowledge of Him. That word knowledge is relationship. Through our relationship with Him, we are connected to the flow, and so we overflow. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our relationship, our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Through these, his glory and goodness, he has what? Given us his very great and precious promises because he's a good father. And because it's his glory for us to share in his glory, he has given us these great and precious promises so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature. So we're lovesick. You and I are lovesick. We, we are dating at a distance right now. And we, have, we have a good groom uh, who, who longs, like Paul longed for this church, on steroids, he longs to be with you. And he's saying we're away right now, but would you, would you dare to believe that through prayer you can begin to taste and experience the increase and overflow of my love? And through my promises, knowing my promises, feeding on my promises, letting them become an anchor for your life that you can actually have power flow into your life, love flow into your life that will transform your life and the world around you. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, you're good. Um, you are uh, You are love, Lord. Uh, and we desperately need to be loved. Uh, Lord, we're so hungry for it. I pray uh, that your love would increase and overflow. Our experience of that would increase and overflow and that you would strengthen our hearts. Lord, that we would be those who love one another well and even love the world around us uh, with a love that the world doesn't understand because it only comes from you. Uh, strengthen our hearts, Lord. I know my heart needs strength. This season has been really hard on so many fronts. I pray for uh, our church and our people, you would strengthen our hearts by faith. And Lord, um, that the hope that we have in you would not be some um, distant, wishful optimism uh, about some day, but that the power of your return and, and the promise of being with you would become so palpable to us that it would change everything we do every day that we do it. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, would, you, would you do that for us um, as we're apart from you, uh, but not alone, because you've given us your spirit to experience you now. We love you in your name. Amen.